Welcome to the Take the Cake podcast. I am your host, Kate Noel, and I am so happy you're here. My mission is to inspire you to be the best version of yourself by truly honoring what your mind, body, and soul want and need. Here, we talk about everything and anything, wellness, recovery, lifestyle stuff, lots more. Thank you so much for being here, and I hope you enjoy the show. Hello beauties, welcome back to the Take the Cake podcast. I am obsessed with today's interview. I am interviewing Steph still today. This conversation was so meaningful to me because I've had my own experiences with alcohol, as most of us have, maybe not all of us, but as some of us have, and I just feel like this conversation needed to happen. This is something that's been popping up in my life. A lot lately and just even throughout my eating sort of recovery, just where alcohol, the, the role that alcohol plays in my life. So I asked Steph Still to be on my podcast and she is amazing. She got sober just six months after turning 21, which is the legal drinking age in the US, after years of dealing with an unhealthy relationship with alcohol. For as long as she can remember, she never felt as though she fully had control over her drinking. She used alcohol, um, excessive exercise, and even a rigid diet to numb her feelings of feeling unworthy. And now that she's sober, her life has improved beyond what she could have ever imagined. She has a blog. She has a YouTube channel. We love that, uh, where she talks about it openly and her journey to reduce the stigma of sobriety to show others her age and anyone really that life can still be fun and exciting without alcohol. So with alcohol out of the picture, she's been able to recognize the other parts of her life that needed healing, um, including her relationship with body and food. And so we talk about just that. We talk about her journey and a little bit of my journey and how her journey has contributed to her eating disorder, vice versa. And we just talk about how you can go on this journey sort of yourself if you're interested. So I know that you're going to be inspired by this episode. I really appreciate Steph for coming on the show. Uh, She's just super real and really cool, and I really enjoyed our conversation. Before we get into the episode, I wanted to shout out a recent review. Uh, I love these. As you know, this is the best way to support Take the Cake. So if you're a listener and you feel called to leave me a rating or a review, that would mean so much to me and you could be featured on the next episode. So today's interview is from Bugsy Juno. It says, thank you, Kate. It says, Kate's podcast kickstarted my recovery journey when I was at my lowest and I couldn't find a reason to recover. A year later into recovery, I owe so much of my happiness and health to Kate's wisdom, insight, and support. Take the Cake not only provides so much useful guidance into the recovery journey, but also a soothing, safe space to go when the ED voices get loud. I can't thank you enough for doing what you do, Kate, and the precious gift that is Take the Cake. Oh, thank you. That's really sweet. I am so happy to have been here for you in your recovery journey, but I'm so proud of you and you owe it to yourself. I mean, this is a this is a choice. It's a personal choice, and I am proud of you and glad for you that you have pursued recovery. It's worth it. Keep going. And yes, Take the Cake is a precious gift. It's even a precious gift to me. I just love recording these episodes. Okay, I hope that y'all enjoy. Here is Steph Still. We have Stephanie here. I'm so excited to talk to you because 
I was just sharing with her that I have my own story with alcohol and eating disorder, obviously. And it's not something that I feel, I guess, like honestly comfortable sharing, but it's something I feel. So when I started following you, uh, on Instagram, I was like, oh, she's like allowing me and giving me that space to feel more of those feelings and have those thoughts. And so I'm excited to have this conversation just to normalize this a little bit more and, um, normalize experiences with alcohol that are negative and life-changing. Cause I think, I mean, I feel like in the media and on social media, a lot of conversations about alcohol are seen in a really positive light. And it's just interesting when you're actually in it and feeling different from those people. So anyways, I'm excited about this. Thank you so much for having, or for being on the show. So if you could start, just introduce yourself and share your story. Yeah. So thank you so much for having me on. I was just telling Kate that I have been an avid follower of hers for about the past year. So it was awesome to hear from you and to welcome me onto your show. Um, But I'm Steph. I just turned 23 like a couple weeks ago and I just graduated from college in June and I have been sober from alcohol for about 18. Yesterday was actually my 18 months um, and sober from all other substances for about three months. So we can kind of get into the different mm, yes. um, later in the podcast. But yeah, I currently spend a lot of my free time working on my kind of passion project, which is my blog, my Instagram page and my YouTube channel that are all really dedicated to destigmatizing sobriety at a young age. Because like you said, you know, sobriety or alcohol is talked about kind of in a, in a positive light. A lot of the time, you know, people don't really show, they show the photos of them at the beginning of the night when they look all glamorous and they're having a lot of fun. No one shows the photos of them with their head in the toilet. And so alcohol is just, it's very romanticized. And I did a post on this the other day about just celebrities and how glamorized they make it seem. Um, So I just really wanted to bring light through my platforms to the topic of, you know, the darker side of alcohol and show people that they're not alone because that's how I felt for so long. Mm. Wow. So can you share more about, I mean, you don't have to share about this, but did you have like personal experiences where you were like, clearly this is a problem for yourself or was it more of like intervention? Yes. So I can, so I'm an open book on this topic. (laughs) So I can just get right into it. I have a lot of stuff that I would like to say. And I find that my story resonates best with people when I kind of, you know, talk about it from the beginning and just share way up to me getting sober. So, um, yeah, so I can just, I'll make it, I'll condense it, you know, but, um, basically I was a super shy kid in high school didn't really have a lot of friends freshman and sophomore year, kind of just stuck to the books, stuck to my homework. And then my sister, I have a twin sister and she started drinking freshman year and, you know, was getting all these friends because she was drinking. And so when I wasn't making as many friends as her, I was like, you know, what's the thing that's different between us. I was like, maybe I should try drinking. So once I started drinking, I was noticing that I was being accepted into her friend group and getting invited to things. So from an early point in my drinking career, I think I always associated alcohol with being fun and needing it to be liked. Um, And that's taken me a while to kind of come to that realization. But before I knew it, I was drinking pretty much every single weekend with my friends. We were drinking, 
you know, before football games and homecoming and house parties. And to be honest, I don't really remember a lot of them. I quickly became the person who was just getting a lot drunker than my friends and having to be taken care of at the end of the night. Um, and my twin sister had to deal with it a lot. So I really started to damage, you know, my reputation, my relationships with my friends, with my sister, because, you know, they were the ones who would always have to deal with it. And so they did have a couple of interventions with me, but it never really stuck um, because, you know, I was drinking mainly at parties and it, it wasn't ever like an unsafe thing. It was more just an embarrassment thing. So I never really thought it was that big of an issue, despite, you know, my friends, you know, kind of loathing me for some of it. But also during the time I was, you know, a straight A student, I was still, I, I hit it really well. My parents had no idea. So it never became a bigger problem than it seemed on the surface in high school. I did come up with a lot of excuses. I remember in high school of why I was blacking out more than my friends. I remember I saw this one article and it was like, birth control can make your alcohol tolerance lower. And I was like, oh my God, I just started birth control. That must be why. Um, and so just never really thinking that, oh, it might be because I have alcohol use disorder or it might be because I have an alcohol issue. It was always just a, a different excuse. Um, and so going to, into college, I remember specifically coming up with this plan of how I was going to drink less and I wanted to fix my reputation and I didn't want to black out anymore. Um, and so I came up with a plan and of like how many shots I would stick to before going out. And, you know, I had this one plan where I'd put like a certain amount of coins in one of my pocket and every time I took a drink, I'd move it over to stick to my limits. But I quickly realized that it just wasn't working for me because I'm the type of person that I can go weeks, days, you know, without drinking. But once I start drinking, it's very hard for me to stop. Um, and I constantly feel like I have to keep going. And so in college is when I really discovered that I was drinking a lot, not just in a social setting, but also to cope with social anxiety, because, you know, in high school, I made my friends through drinking. So I never really learned how to make them without the crutch of alcohol. So meeting all these new people when you first enter college, I was, I had a lot of social anxiety and I was using alcohol to really cope with that. Um, and obviously there's no parental supervision. And so, and there's, and you're living on your own. So college, the binge drinking college culture comes with a lot of um, issues in itself. But I basically, from that point on, that's when my drinking kind of started to take a scary turn. I remember, you know, drinking alone in my dorm room before going out to events because I was so nervous. And my justification for that was, you know, we're in college. This is what everyone's doing. You know, I was blacking out a lot. I wasn't remembering, thing, remembering things, but so was everyone else in my mind. Um, I definitely compared myself and my drinking to other people's drinking. And in college, when everyone else has been drinking, it was normalized. So I didn't really think that, you know, there was anything else to be, you know, looked at. I thought it was normal. Um, and then sophomore year was when, you know, I kind of started to think that maybe I have a drinking problem because up until then it was just, oh, I can't handle my alcohol. I'm a lightweight. And so my sophomore year, my boyfriend went to Europe for the four months. He went to study abroad and at that time was really 
kind of sad time and an angry time because I met him at the very beginning of my freshman year. And so I kind of had him through all of this too. He was the one now to take me home at the end of the night. You know, when I got too drunk, he, he would be the one that people would call. And so without him, it was kind of up to my friends again, which is when I started damaging those relationships with, you know, the new people that I met in school. Um, And so it was just this constant, you know, endless cycle of, you know, drinking too much at night at a party or whatever, waking up in the morning and feeling just super shameful and super guilty over things that I didn't remember or things that I maybe said. And then I would, I started to drink in the mornings to kind of quiet those thoughts because I didn't want to feel as guilty as I did. Um, And then usually I just end up, you know, like I said, once I start drinking, I can't stop. I would continue to drink throughout the day just to kind of keep the buzz going. And so it was just this endless cycle. Um, And, you know, at the time, like I said, I never really considered myself to have a drinking problem, especially because at this time I wasn't even 21. I wasn't even of legal age to drink. And there was no way that I was going to, you know, quit alcohol before I even could drink it legally. So I remember just planning out my 21st birthday for months and being so excited for it. And then the day finally came and I don't remember any of it. And um, at this point, I remember now that alcohol was like more readily available to me, I could go get it whenever I wanted. I, I was getting it a lot more. I was, you know, showing up to class drunk, skipping work. This was kind of my big downfall. Um, And I just really started to not really recognize myself. I was always a straight A student. And at this point in my life, I was getting D's on all my tests. I was skipping class, skipping work. And I really was damaging my relationships with my roommates because I would be so embarrassed over the things maybe that I did going out with them that I would just hide at my boyfriend's house all day. And I just felt very alone. I just felt like everyone else, all of my roommates, everyone I was hanging out with, they all knew how to handle their alcohol. And I was the only one who was, you know, drinking in the mornings. I was the only one who was blacking out consistently. And so I just felt super alone. And I felt like I couldn't talk to anyone about it because I was afraid of judgment. And there is this stigma around if someone says they have a drinking problem, you know, we think of the man under the bridge with a paper bag and it's like a bottle in it. But um, yeah, so I just felt super alone during that time. And another thought that always went through my mind was, you know, maybe I have a drinking problem, but I'll just deal with it after college because, you know, college is the time that we're supposed to do this. We're supposed to be drinking. So I'll just handle this when that's done. Um, And again, the normalization of the binge drinking culture just really perpetuated this problem. And so the day that my boyfriend really realized how the depth of my alcohol issue. I remember waking up one morning, I stayed at his house and he said he could just smell the alcohol on my breath when I was like lying next to him because that morning I had woken up and and drank um, to silence the shame and guilt that I was feeling over the night before. And so that was when we finally had the talk and I was like, yeah, I think I do I do have an issue. It's not just this embarrassing thing anymore. It's, it's a really, it's a problem. 
Um, and so for the first time I decided that, you know, I couldn't do it on my own because for years and years I had been promising my friends that I was going to moderate my drinking and I was going to get a handle on it. And I was promising, promising my boyfriend. And I really, I just decided that I couldn't do it on my own. And so I decided to just use whatever free resource was available to me. And I went to my school's counseling center Um, And I remember just at the first appointment being so ashamed to walk in there and my boyfriend had to walk me to the door to make sure I went in. And then I got in there and I remember seeing this girl from work. She was also, you know, about to go to counseling. And I was like, oh, she knows, like she already knows that I have this problem. And I just felt so ashamed. And so going into counseling, I never really had the intention of quitting. I went in there with the intention of moderation. I wanted my counselor to tell me how I could moderate and how I could drink like the rest of my friends. And so we did that for a while. I would go a couple of weeks without drinking and it would be fine. And then I would tell myself that I'm ready to try and moderate again. Um, and I'd, I'd be fine. I'd be able to, but then, you know, within a couple of weeks, I was back to square one because for me, when I drink, you know, it's, I'm constantly thinking, you know, where's my next drink coming from? Am I going overboard? And it's, it's just really exhausting. I don't really even get to focus on the social aspect. Um, and so at this point, I really, I wasn't understanding why I continued to drink because I knew I was so much happier when I wasn't drinking. I knew that my relationships with people were better and I was more productive and yet I still kept drinking. And I remember even on New Year's Eve, I wrote this journal prompt and it said, what was, what's the one thing that you could do next year that would make your life easier? And I said, stop drinking. And so I knew that that's what I had to do, but obviously it was very hard at that time. I was, I was freshly 21. Um, and so the thing that really did in, did it in for me was this Christmas Eve where I blacked out and just really embarrassed myself in front of my family. And that was like my final straw. I was like, I'm done feeling like this, you know, ruining my relationships with people. And so I decided to try being completely sober of in January of 2020. Um, and so I made it 40 days, didn't tell anyone about it besides my boyfriend. It was a big secret. I was, like I said, I was afraid of, um, judgment. I was afraid of failure. I was afraid that I wasn't going to be able to do it. So if I told people, you know, I'm going sober, I was afraid they would judge me if I couldn't stick to that promise. And so, Um, At that point, after those 40 days of sobriety, I was feeling good. I was feeling better than I had ever felt. I was feeling productive. And the thoughts started to creep in, which are very common in early sobriety, which are, you know, you've done so well, you're better now, you can handle it. And so that's when I decided to try drinking again. Um, And I remember going to this brewery with a couple of my friends and that was the day that I was going to try drinking again. So I remember I ordered a beer and the second that I started feeling slightly tipsy, I immediately knew that nothing had changed. And I immediately started thinking, you know, how can I sneak more of this alcohol? How can I drink more without anyone noticing? Um, and so it, it just became all consuming. And so that's when I kind of fell off for a little bit and started my downward spiral once again for a couple mm-hmm. weeks. And then on March 18th, 2020, that was the last time I ever drank a sip of alcohol. And I wish it was 
more glamorous than it was because I have heard of people who have, you know, decided that they're going to quit and they they go to a bar and they order a fancy mocktail and they're, or a fancy cocktail and they're like, okay, this is my last drink. So I'm going to make it count. But for me, I showed up drunk to one of my college finals and then I was like, what am I doing? So my, I did, well, I was given an ultimatum by my boyfriend because he didn't, he didn't say, you know, you have to quit drinking or I'm going to break up with you. He said, you have to commit to trying again and to trying sobriety again, because at this point I wasn't even trying. I had just said, fuck it basically. Um, And so that ultimatum kind of really shook me up and I, it really stuck with me. And so since then I have not drank and um, yeah, I have, I feel like I've been talking forever. I have more (laughs) of actual sobriety itself, but that was just my story leading up to how wow. I finally made the decision. Wow. I'm so happy for you. That's you. what a journey. First of all, it's interesting how you mentioned that at first, you know, when you first started recognizing that it could be a problem for you, like you kind of developed these tactics to try and stop like the coins thing and all these things. Like it's almost like eating disorder recovery in a way, because a lot of people go into recovery thinking they have like a willpower problem. They have this problem that they can't like control themselves. And really like it's deeper than that. And like you mentioned, like that ultimately the, you have to get a little deeper in order to like really understand why you're doing what you're doing. So that was really interesting to me. And um, yeah, I've maybe I'll, I'll share a little bit about my story too, just to relate to you. And with alcohol, I, like went to Indiana university, which is like a huge party school. And just like you, I was drinking from a very young age, like high school. Like when people tell me that they had their first drink at 21, I was like, well, our lives are so different. Cause mm-hmm. I, I was drinking when I was a freshman in high school mm-hmm. and looking back, I'm like, oh my gosh, I was such a baby. What was I doing? You know, but I was getting drunk and that was the culture in my high school. That was the culture in my college. And it's true. Like you, and it's just the culture in our world, even as an adult, I'm like, people go to events. And the first thing you do is get a drink in order for you to be able to be there Mm -hmm. to be present, even though that's like ironic because you're actually making yourself less present, but in order to feel like you're there, you have to have a drink. Mm -hmm. And it's such a thing in our society. And it was a thing for me as well. And I, um, I also have had a few moments in my life where I've drank it by myself, felt ashamed. I remember going on a date, not with my husband now, but with a different guy. And I was like, I'm so nervous. I just, I'm going to have like a glass of wine. I ended up having like three glasses of wine before a date. And I don't even remember the date. And I also in college every single weekend, you know, or on the weekdays, I would drink a lot and I would always feel ashamed, not even like just ashamed by my actions, but I would feel physically terrible and I would feel emotionally terrible. Like just everything about me, I just felt dead. I mean, I just felt like dead, Mm -hmm. (laughs) but all my friends around me were kind of in the same boat. So I totally get that. And it is interesting how I feel like in my college, blacking out was kind of like funny. And I feel like in the culture, it's kind of funny. Like you see people kind of like messing with their friends who are blacked out or like, you know, like, oh my gosh, you threw up last night. Like that was crazy. And it's like, 
whoa, that's actually really messed up that we're kind of glamorizing are literally poisoning our bodies and minds. It's just like very interesting. And I also was wondering about your relationship um, because I dated somebody in high school who wasn't definitely not sober and he, we smoked weed all the time and we were drinking all the time. And my relationship with him was very traumatic. And I have another thing I've not really talked about that much, but I have a really traumatic like history with this guy. And then I, I don't know if Rio is going to be okay with me putting this in the podcast, but I'll, I'll ask him, but he is basically sober. He's basically always been sober since I've met him. Mm. And that used to really frustrate me when I was drinking a lot because I met him when I was 18. So he would be like, I would take him to parties with me and he wouldn't drink or he would drink barely anything. And it was almost frustrating. Like, I'm like, what are you doing? Like, you're not being cool right now. Like you're not being a part of our group. And it wasn't until I kind of grew up and grew out of that where I was like, wow, I'm, I like subconsciously really appreciated the fact that he was sober because he was so stable in my life. And like I said, I have history of like not really seeing that in my life from an early age. Like I just didn't see that stability with alcohol or without alcohol. So I appreciate that he is sober so much now. Like it really, and he's not judging me if I, you know, have, have a drink, but I, at the same time, he's, he's really inspiring to me because as an adult now, I even still feel like kind of weird about getting drunk. Like, I just feel like, what's the point anymore? You know, like, I feel like shit. Like I, you know, my body tells me, no, <laughs> my body's like, stop doing this. Even if I have one drink, I feel like the next day I'm like, I, I don't like this. I don't like the way I feel. Yeah. That's like my little spiel, which isn't as, you know, I had an eating disorder that was like taking over my life. So, um, in my history with alcohol and that is also intertwined, but my, my issue was mostly like the restriction, the bulimia. Like I had obviously my own set of stuff that I was hiding. So Mm -hmm. alcohol was, wasn't my, like, I guess, main red flag for me, but it definitely was a facilitator of just emotional turmoil and physical turmoil for me. So, yeah. 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 I definitely, thank you for sharing that with me. And I, I definitely feel, I relate to what you said about your anger towards Rio because my boyfriend's not sober either, but he can take it or leave it with when it comes to alcohol. Like he's never been a problem drinker. Like if he wants to stop, he can stop. And that used to frustrate me because he'd be like, no, I'm done after one. Like, I don't really want anymore. And I'm like, how, how do you not like want to keep going? And what I've learned, you know, over the past year and a half of doing all of this is like, that was just a projection of my own insecurities around alcohol. Yeah. because I couldn't, I couldn't just stop at one. So I was angry with him for being able to, and anyone who also makes you, whoever makes you feel judged about your decision to not drink like if you're out it's it's always usually a projection of how they feel it's never you know how they actually feel about you so that's been comforting to know um yeah but yeah yeah, my relationship has only obviously improved since all that um since I got over and yeah he doesn't drink around me which 
I appreciate, but I'm also sometimes like, you know, you can, like, I'm at a point where I'm comfortable around it. Like it doesn't bother me anymore when people drink around me, but he's just, he can take it or leave it. So. Mm -hmm. And I'm interested to talk about your sobriety now. Um, Mm -hmm. Like what your life is like now, if you have the same friends, if you have different friends, like how your family, like, just tell me, tell me all of it. (laughs) Yeah. So I guess I can start with like, kind of where I left off with my original long, long story, but I, I basically, I didn't tell anyone when I was first getting sober, like I said, because I was super ashamed about it. And then it was actually during COVID COVID. It was like, right when COVID hit, I think it was like the next week that the school was shut down. Like I was on my spring break, which got extended two weeks. Cause we thought it was when we thought COVID was going to be, you know, two weeks long. Oh, hilarious. <laughs> and so during that point, I was like, okay, perfect. Like no one's going to be going out. This is going to be a great start to my sobriety. So COVID for me was a blessing in disguise. Obviously it was horrible and still is horrible. And, you know, a lot of people, um, died from it. So I'm not saying it's good in any way, but for me, it was, it was a blessing for my sobriety. And, um, so yeah, all of my friends had gone home for spring break and it was just me and my boyfriend in my college town. We were there for like the first three or four weeks of COVID. And then my roommates were, you know, planning on coming back and I could tell that they were in party mode because I lived with people that were one year older than me. So they were all graduating that year when I was a junior. So I could tell like when they were coming back, it was like party time. They had missed their whole spring break because of COVID. So I was kind of mentally preparing for that of how I was going to handle that. And up until that point, you know, when I was trying to quit and I hadn't told anyone, I would make all the excuses of, you know, oh, I'm on antibiotics or I have to get up early. So, and it was just getting exhausting having to come up with an excuse. So I was like, you know what, instead of trying to tell each individual person that I'm with that I'm not drinking, I'm just going to post on Instagram. And that I never thought I would do anything like that. And I'm not saying like, if you go sober, that's like the easiest way. Cause obviously you do not Oh, anyone an explanation for your sobriety, but this was just the easiest way for me. And another reason why I wanted to post was because I just wanted to like show other people that they weren't alone because I knew there had to be other people out there. I just wasn't finding them because um, one thing that I forgot to mention was I, when I joined, when I was with my counselor, he suggested that I join this student drop-in group Um, for other students dealing with substance abuse problems. And I was like, great, I would love to meet people who are in the same boat. And it was an eight week long program. And so I started going to that. And for all eight weeks, I was the only one who showed up. (laughs) There was no one there. And so that just kind of, it was just me and a therapist there. And so it was just like basically a second counseling appointment. So it just really kind of nail in the coffin. I was like, I am alone in this. Um, so posting on Instagram was kind of my way to reach out to people and say, you know, if you're dealing with this, please come find me because I would love to talk to someone, um, about that. But basically I made that post that I made the decision to cut alcohol out of my life. And I was so nervous when I posted it. I remember this was on like my personal Instagram, not the new one I have now. Um, and I remember like throwing it, my phone under my bed and like not looking mm. at it for like six hours. I I've been there before. <laughs> I was just like, like oh, I don't just out of sight out of mind, <laughs> even yeah. though it's not out of your mind. <laughs> yeah. Um, and so like once I finally looked at my phone, like the response was all positive and I had people reaching out to me who I hadn't talked to in years, like from high school, like middle school, like saying they were going through similar stuff. Mm-hmm. So 
Um, yeah, I wanted to say also too, real quick, like when I first quit drinking, I was kind of more on board with it because my thought process was, oh, you know, I can just, I don't know how much I'm allowed to say in terms of like drugs. No, it's fine. I don't care. (laughs) Um, I was going to, so I was, I was somewhat okay with it because I was like, okay, I like going to music festivals and there I can just do Molly or, you know, cocaine was pretty rampant in my college. And so I was like, well, maybe if I don't drink anymore, I can just switch to that or I can switch to weed. And so I always thought there was another, another alternative for me. And I even bought some of those kin drinks that now Bella Hadid is like a part of. I don't oh, know. I don't know what that is. I just know can. Yeah. Can I, so I tried can, and then I tried kin, which is like these <laughs> drinks that Bella Hadid is now, she said now she's a founder, but I was drinking them before she was even on mm-hmm. it. So I think she just put like a lot of money into it or something, but they, they basically make you feel like bubbly and happy because of like adaptogens and other things in them. So even with those, I was like chugging those to try and get mm. that sort of feeling. So I up and so at that point, I kind of just realized, you know, my addictive nature, I'll abuse anything if you give it to me. And I don't think I realized it until I got sober and until I saw myself, you know, abusing other things in that way. Um, and so that's why I say that I've been sober from all other substances for mm. three months now, because, um, yeah, three months ago I decided, you know, I'm not going to try and substitute it with anything else. And so basically now I'm sober from everything. And I, I definitely get, I get the question a lot of, you know, are my friends the same? And at the beginning of my sobriety journey, I really tried to do every single thing that I used to do. Like I tried to go to parties. I tried to go to bars. I didn't, I still wanted to be seen as the fun sober girl. Like I didn't want to be like, Oh, she's boring because she's sober now. So I, I kind of went overboard in, you know, still going out and it really wore me out very quickly. Um, for anyone who's trying to limit their alcohol consumption or to cut back or to quit, don't feel like you have to do that. Take your time and you know, if you need to take a night off and not go to the bar, like it's not the end of the world. Um, but I've definitely noticed that one of the hardest things for me in terms of my sobriety now is constantly having to be on, you know, and constantly having to be fully present. Like I can't numb my feelings of stress or sadness anymore. And when I'm having a bad day, I can't just grab a glass of wine, like maybe some of my friends, like I have to actually sit through all of my emotions, which has been really challenging at times. And that's why people say like early sobriety is really emotional. Um, but in terms of my friends, I, I haven't lost any friends that I want to keep, if that makes sense. Like mm-hmm. friends that I lost were the friends that I bonded with because we were drinking, like in Mm -hmm. college, there was definitely my drinking friends. And so all of my true friends, you know, we've stayed in contact. We're still good friends, but it's, it is, I have noticed a shift in a lot of my friendships. And I say that kind of like, like with a heavy heart right now, Mm. because I'm home. Um, I'm living at home with my parents. So a lot of my high school friends are here. And I, I think this is the first time that I've ever noticed it. Um, so I'm trying like not to, you know, let it get to me too much and just accept that it's just part of the process because, you know, none of my friends are like crazy drinkers, but like they do go out and drink. And 
even this past weekend, I've had to say no to a couple of different things and it just kind of makes me feel left out. So one thing I will say, like on the opposite side of that is I have met so many people that I never would have in sobriety on the, in the big sober Instagram community. And so, you know, whatever you, you think you're going to lose, I guarantee you that you're also going to gain a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I don't yeah. know what else do you want to know about? No, I, I actually have, so I have something to say about that too. So when I moved to Los Angeles, um, I was 20. So I was in college for two years. And then I, in the summer going into my junior year, I left, I dropped out and I moved to um, LA. Mm -hmm. Like I said, I had moved and Rio wasn't a drinker, not really a partier. Like we went to parties, but it was like little fun park parties. And like, it wasn't like a college, like Los Angeles, obviously it's, it's Los Angeles. Like Mm -hmm. it's not like a college town that I was used to living in. And so I remember moving to LA and, you know, I was really unhappy with my life at, in Indiana at IU Mm -hmm. because of my eating disorder. Like I did have good friends and I had like a, you know, a life on the outside that looked really nice. But of course I was wanting to be close to Rio. We were like basically dating at that time. And I had really wanted to like recover from my eating disorder. And I also moved to Los Angeles knowing that I'm probably really not going to drink that much anymore because I didn't have any friends out here besides like Brio's friends, which, you know, ended up being my friends too. But, you know, it's different when you like make your own friends. And my friends in college were my friends in high school. Like we went, I grew up in Indiana, went to IU. So I had like the same friends, you know, I mean, a few new ones, but mostly the same friends. So I just felt like I was leaving a so much of my life. Like I felt like my life, you know, I was kind of living two lives, I guess, in a way. Mm-hmm. And I remember being in Los Angeles and having FOMO to the point where I was like depressed and crying on weekends. Cause I would see my friends like tailgating mm-hmm. and going to the football games and they were clearly like drinking and having a good time and whatever. And then they all turned 21. So they started going to the bars and stuff. And I was like, Oh my gosh, like I didn't get that. Like, I never got that thing. I never had this great, great grand experience. And it was really interesting. And for those, I'd say like three years of being in LA, I'd say two to three years, it was really hard for me to like, not be in that party mode, like my friends were. But at the same time, I was like kind of thriving in Los Angeles. Like I started, I mean, I wasn't thriving. I had an eating disorder, but at least I was moving towards more of myself and at least moving in a direction I wanted to go and was happy in different ways and happy and I guess a more holistic way. So it's just really interesting, you know, like as an adult now I'm 26. So I'm like older than you, a little older. And I can say this will pass and it's so like temporary and, you know, like real adult friendships aren't the ones necessarily that you make in college. Like, yes, you're probably going to have some friends and acquaintances that you take with you, but yeah, it's really interesting making friends as an adult without that crutch of alcohol. But now just to give you a little inspiration, like it took me a while to make friends out here that I felt like I really aligned with, you know, and now I have like amazing friends out here. And I was just chatting with my friend, Sarah, who was on the podcast because she wrote a book and I remember like talking to her about how I feel like all my friends are like getting drunk still. And I feel like my life in Indiana kind of feels gone. And she was like, 
good. (laughs) She's like, cool. You know, like, that's great. Cause you have your life here now. And I was like, you're right. And Mm -hmm. we were just talking about how we're like moving on, you know, you're just moving on from these times of your life that yes, they served you in some ways, but the majority of it, you know, it's, it's time to move on. It's time to like move on with your life. And so, yeah, I mean, just keep encouraging you to like connecting with, to keep connecting with people and keep living your truth and not falling back into the alcohol just just to not feel lonely you know yeah yeah anyways <laughs> no thank you for that I definitely I'm hoping to move out of my parents house soon and so I've definitely had feelings of anxiety thinking about making friends in a new place because yeah it's hard to make friends without you know like oh let's go get drinks like that's what everyone kind of does and so mm-hmm. but what I've kind of learned too is like the relationships that you form when you're sober are just, and I'm sure you've realized this too, just like so much stronger and more genuine in a way than the ones that you form while drinking. So I'm definitely nervous, but excited to move on and continue. Yeah. And I also imagine the real friends that you really want around in your life, like they will not only understand you not drinking or using substances, but they'll support you and they won't continue to offer it to you. And they'll be it's just like a more peaceful environment where you can have your own preferences and it's not like you're a party pooper or you're not cool. It's like, you know, you're just here, you know, and you're just not like, I personally am not sober. Like I'm, I still do, you know, drink, but like I said, there's, I'd say I'm just becoming less and less of a drinker, I, I would say. And I'm really not as interested at all in any substances. And like you said, I did try, I did buy those cans. Like I went, first of all, they're so expensive. Uh, Like I went to the weed store or whatever. And I bought like a six pack or maybe it was a four pack. It was like maybe six or four. I don't know. It was like nothing. And it was like $50 with the taxes and everything. And like, I was like, okay, this is like a lot of money for like the two milligrams of whatever it is of THC. And like, also, yeah, I just like, I don't, I don't need this. You know, I, I didn't need it. I just, I didn't need it. I went to a party and I was like, I don't need this. I didn't need to spend this $50 on this stuff, you know? So mm-hmm. I don't know. It's almost like quasi, like how people say quasi recovery. It's almost like quasi sobriety recovery yeah. when you're like trying to do other things that kind of compensate for you, not actually feeling your emotions and going through mm-hmm. what you're actually feeling. Mm-hmm. Definitely. So, because yeah. If you're not able to, I, I read this thing once and it was like, if the idea of going to a party without alcohol scares you, like chances are that you are likely already emotionally dependent on alcohol, you know? So if you can't go to a social gathering without some sort of substance, you know, chances are there's something deeper there and you have to really look at, you know, why, why can't you just sit there and, you know, be in the moment and connect with people without it. And I'm sure a lot of it plays into the fact that, you know, it's not, it's not super fun, like sitting in a room where everyone's, I've been in a situation many times, like where everyone's playing drinking games around you and you were just like, Oh, like sitting there, like trying to fit in, trying to fit into the conversation. But when everyone's drinking, the conversation usually turns more surface level. I've definitely noticed. And people Mm. only talking about, that are drinking so lately like especially this summer I've hung I've hung out with a lot of my high school friends and I've just noticed like 
when everyone's drinking, I, I can't really contribute to the conversation because I don't drink anymore or do that anymore. So sure. I could start talking about my past stories, but that brings up a lot of baggage that I just don't want to talk about. So I found that I used to be able to go to these things where everyone's drinking with confidence and like sit there. But at this point, I just don't really enjoy it because I just don't feel like it serves me anymore. And it's, I don't, I'm not connecting with anyone. So why go? Mm. Yeah. I've been to a few parties where I've been sober and also talking to drunk people when you're sober, first of all, it's like, they don't have any boundaries. Mm -hmm. Like I'm, I'm not very, like, I don't really need a lot of space, like spatial boundaries. Like if somebody hugs me and I've like never really met them, like I'll hug them back. You know, I'm not, I'm not somebody that needs that space boundary, but drunk people are like, they're like flopping around and they're get they get so close to you. And then you can like smell their drunkenness and you can just like see how drunk they are in their eyes. And it's almost like, Oh, if I'm not drunk, I'm like, or if I'm not drinking, I'm just like, dude, I do not want to talk to you when you're like this. Cause it's, yeah, you're right. And, And it's, and the conversation just kind of, it kind of feels like it goes in circles almost mm-hmm. when you're drunk and you're talking to people and you're so or you're sober and they're drunk. You're like, what are you talking? Like you're, you've already talked about that 5,000 times, you know, it just, it's not very interesting. Yeah. <laughs> I Nothing mean, has convinced yeah. me more of that than like going to bars sober. I've only done it a couple of times. And that's because like, when I do, I just, I'm either getting like, like spit on, like people are trying to talk to me. I've had people come up to me and they're, they're like hammered. And they're like, I think it's because a lot of people at my school knew what I was doing because I had the whole Instagram. So people would come up to me and they'd be like, I love what you're doing. And they're just Uh like hammered. And I'm like, thank you. That's, it's so kind that you're saying that, but like, I don't want (laughs) you to say that like in this state. So I just eventually stopped going to bars entirely, but that's a personal choice. You, you don't have to do that obviously if you're sober, but yeah. Well, I get that too with um sometimes like I'll be with like a group of people or like even Rio sometimes like won't eat breakfast someday, you know, one day and I'm like, "You know what? I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to skip my meal because I had an eating disorder. Like I have to be real with myself and and you know, be like, this isn't this I'm special. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm a special girl, so I, you know, need I don't want to trigger myself by doing the same thing as everyone else just because mm-hmm. I'm and just like you, I also have an addictive personality. I'm very swayed by people definitely caved into peer pressure. Like that, that was totally me. And, um, so yeah, like, I'm just aware of that now and understand that. And it helps me a lot. So I do want to talk about your experience with, um, drinking and having an eating disorder, because you mentioned that you did have some, I don't know if you had an eating disorder or if you just had some like behaviors in here and there, like, I don't really know your story, but can you tell me about, about that? Like if your relationship yeah. with alcohol contributed? Yeah. So I, yeah, I was never formally diagnosed with an eating disorder, but from all the information that I have gathered, I mm-hmm. would say that I had, and to this day too, like being totally transparent, like still struggle with orthorexia and it's definitely gotten better over time, but um, that's why I don't, I don't want to, what's the word? I don't want to act like I am completely cured. So that's, I just want to say that like right away. I love that you said that. That's cool. (laughs) Um, So yeah, when I was like 14 or 15, I um, developed orthorexia. Don't really know how it started. I I think it was Tumblr because Tumblr fueled my 
eating why tumblr's kind of toxic it really was yeah and so kind of like what Allie um bonner was saying in your last podcast how she became obsessed with nutrition but not for the right reasons like that's kind of what happened to me and i ended up just being so obsessed with every single thing i was putting into my body and i ended up losing a lot of weight to the point where you know it wasn't really intentional um I didn't, I wasn't really trying to lose weight. I was trying to get a flat stomach at 14. Like that was kind of my entire goal, but it just so came with the fact that I lost a lot of weight to the point where my parents and friends started noticing my mom took me to a doctor and long story short, I eventually, you know, I wasn't diagnosed with an eating disorder because he asked me, you know, did you intend to lose all this weight? And I said, no. And I think because of that, he's like, oh, she doesn't have an eating disorder or something. It's very like diagnosing eating disorders. I've read the DSM-5 and it's kind of specific and it can be really frustrating. Yeah. Yeah. So I guess, yeah, maybe I did fill out like some sort of questionnaire, but whatever. I didn't, I didn't reach the criteria in his mind. So I wasn't ever diagnosed. And basically he put me on like this plan where I had to, I was an avid soccer player. So I had to quit like all soccer, all working out just to get weight restored. And then once I was weight restored, like maybe a year and a half later, I, I just, everything was like, okay, she's fine. Like I never went to therapy. I never got the mental help. So I like to say like, I recovered physically, but never mentally. And that's just stuck with me like my entire life. Um, And so right around the time that I became weight restored and was like seen as fine by everyone was about the same time that I started drinking. So I was still struggling with my body image and with food. And then when alcohol came into the picture, it really, it really messed up my relationship with food even more. Um, Just because I don't know, I, my brain was always going a million miles a minute and I was, you know, always thinking, you know, what's the healthiest thing on the menu? What can I do? Blah, blah, blah. To, you know, remain healthy and always thinking about the next workout I was doing and alcohol was the way that I could kind of slow my thoughts down. And so I think that's why I relied on it a lot. And I also, it allowed me to say, fuck it, you know, I want to have the McDonald's burger. Whereas when I was sober, I would never be able to say that. So I think that's kind of why I also like leaned into alcohol more. Um, but pretty soon my drinking habits just kind of took center stage over my eating disorder. So my eating disorder kind of went to the back burner and I just started blacking out a lot. So I was just only focused on getting a handle on that because that was what was more pressing in my life. Whereas, you know, my eating disorder, I could still kind of hide. Um, and so all the while, while I was, you know, going through all my alcohol issues, I was still eating in a disordered way and thinking about food in a disordered way. But like I said, I didn't focus on it because I was focusing on my drinking. And in college, there was a lot of things that I would do that I didn't realize were toxic at the time, but definitely now, like looking back, they really are. And it's not just me who does this, obviously. Like, I'm sure you've talked about this in a podcast before too. I know Allie has talked about it, but it's these behaviors are very normalized in like a lot of girls in college, like not eating before you go out. So you don't look oh, yeah. in your outfit. And, you know, I would not eat like if I was going out, I wouldn't eat certain foods so that I could save the calories for all the calories I was about to drink. Mm-hmm. 
or my number one thing was if I knew that I was going to be, you know, drinking Friday night, Saturday day, like at a danger. And then, you know, if I was just going to be drinking all weekend, I would work out super, super excessively Monday through Friday morning to just try and, you know, get me all balanced so that I can like binge on alcohol, I guess in the, on the weekend. So it was just, it was an interesting relationship. I just, I guess now that alcohol is not in my life, it's given me the opportunity to look at all other areas of my life that need healing, including my social anxiety, including my relationship with food. So I'm, I'm finally able to look at that without the distraction of alcohol, but I wouldn't say that I'm fully cured in any way. Um, But it Mm -hmm. is something that I'm really working on. And that's why I really like this podcast and really like (laughs) your videos and everything. So thanks. That's so true. Like I, I thanks for being so real because same, like how could you, if you have any sort of disorder of eating or an eating disorder, how could you not be triggered by alcohol? It totally impairs your judgment. And it's like a, it's a depressant. It's like a window for you to normalize your eating disorder more. Mm -hmm. And so I used to do, gosh, yeah, there's like, so there's so many eating disorder behaviors that are not talked about that are related to being under the influence. And like, Mm -hmm. there's just so many things that I, I did as well. Like same, I, I would, you know, restrict if I knew I was drinking, I would restrict my food in order for me to feel more drunk if I was drinking. Cause you know, like they say like, Oh, it make sure you eat and don't drink on an empty stomach. I'm like, no, I'm going to be like cool and like do that. And like my poor freaking body, like no wonder I, I mean, just could not function and was also abusing laxatives. Like seriously, like my body in college was a wreck and I looked like I was a wreck, honestly. I look, I look back at pictures of me and I look so different. And I'm like, oh my gosh, like this is crazy. Um, how different, how much time and and you know has healed me and recovery has healed me. And I'm grateful that I was able to move to LA and be in more of a sober environment because I was able to focus on my recovery, you know, like fully. Like I can't imagine <clears throat> doing that, doing recovery back where kind of, I was drinking and and engaging in those behaviors. So I was lucky that I was able to like change my environment. Like I know not everyone's privileged in that way to do that. Um, so I, I do feel really lucky that I was able to do that. Okay. So I would love to know now what the, you know, benefits of being sober, getting sober are, and just like the good things that's happened in your life since you've made this decision. Yeah. So Getting sober at this age, like I've said, has been the hardest thing I've ever done. And, you know, a lot of people say getting sober is hard, but staying sober is harder. And I think that's very true too. It's been the hardest thing I've ever done to stay sober. But at the end of the day, despite how hard it is, I just need to remember and I think about all these benefits and I remember my why because I know that my life no matter how hard it is, is so much better than when I was drinking. Um, so one one quote that I heard that really keeps me going that is actually said in AA, it's um, choose your hard. And so the way that I like to think about it is staying sober is hard and not going out with your friends is super hard. But so was the life that I was living where I was blacking out all the time and I was dealing with shame and anxiety. So you know, both options are hard. You kind of just have to pick which option is going to be the best for you in the long run. Kind of like 
that quote that I've seen on Pinterest, like the pain of staying where you are or the pain of growth, you know, you can choose to stay where you are and deal with all the battles that come with that, or you can grow because yes, growth is uncomfortable, but ultimately it's going to get you to a better place, hopefully. Um, so yeah, whenever I'm just feeling really down and wondering why I'm doing all this, you know, the benefits, there's been physical benefits and there's been, you know, other benefits that have just kept me going and keep me um, sober. Some of the physical benefits, I I look back at old photos of myself and I really, it, my, I'm like unrecognizable. I think I've posted on my Instagram, like a side-by-side before, but it's just like my eyes now are a lot brighter. So yeah, my, my face is a lot less puffy. Alcohol, as we all know, dehydrates the body. So your face, especially the morning after drinking is going to hold on to as much water as it can, which is why you sometimes feel, you know, puffy in your face, puffy all over your body. And so I just feel just like my whole body is just less puffy and bloated. Um, my hair is a lot thicker. This might also have to do with, you know, me eating more these days and like taking better care of my nutrition, but I've heard that it is a plus side to sobriety as well. Um, I have more energy. Another big one is that my stomach pain has really gotten better. I used to have like pretty bad, just digestive issues and I still deal with them now, but I've definitely noticed since I've been sober, like they've really decreased because, you know, as you know, alcohol literally can destroy your stomach lining. So cutting it out and not constantly putting that toxic substance into my body has really helped with that. Um, And yeah, besides physical benefits, obviously those are great and those are really motivating for me, but other benefits are just that I truly feel like I have control in my life now um, where I kind of get to decide what happens to me rather than life just happening to me. And I really do have a better outlook on, you know, where I want to go in the future. And sobriety has just opened so many doors for me that I know would not have been opened if I if I was still drinking and still down the path that I was on. Um, and in, in that same sense of feeling in control in my life, you know, the plans that I make with my friends, I know I'm going to keep them. I know if I make a brunch plan for Saturday or a hike plan for Sunday, like I'm going to go because before, you know, it was always tentative. It was always, you know, am I going to be too hungover to go? And so I know, you know, the plans that I make are the plans that I'm going to keep. Um, and yeah, I just feel so much, so much more in control. And like, I have control of what's happening to me. I have better relationship with my family, with my friends, you know, now that I'm not having to wake up every morning and do damage control with my friends or my roommates over things that I might've done the night before. Um, I just feel so much more motivated in life now that I'm not, you know, crippling with shame and anxiety. Mm-hmm. Um And I just feel like I have much more time, you know, like when you're drinking, when you're spending your whole weekend drinking, they tend to go by pretty fast, especially if Sunday is spent completely hungover. And I just feel like I have a lot more time in the week, which is very valuable, obviously, because, you know, we never feel like we have enough time. And especially when you're drinking and blacking out like I was, that was like eight hours, eight hours of your day is just gone (laughs) and you Mm -hmm. don't remember it. So yeah, I would say those are the main benefits. And then just all the people that I've been able to meet and I've truly found my passion. I'm sure you feel the same way with, you know, you're now coaching and your um, YouTube and everything that you've been doing on Instagram, like the people that you meet who you just align with is really awesome. And I, I have, I never really before this, I was always the type of person who was like, oh, I don't really know what my passion is. Like, I don't know what I want to do with my life. And 
now I know it's, I want to help people, you know, like I, that, that were going through what I was going through. Like, I'm sure you can relate. So it's just, I just feel more aligned and I feel like this is what I was meant to do. I was meant to go through those hardships to get where I am now. And that's not saying that everyone who's sober, their passion and their, you know, life goal is going to be to help others. Sometimes being sober just allows you to find other things you're passionate about because, you know, it gives you the mental clarity and gives you the time. So yeah, that's what I would say. (laughs) You're like, everything (laughs) changed. What can I say? (laughs) Man, I love that. Yeah. Like I, I, um, used to say a lot, like my friends and I used to joke and be like, oh my gosh, the anxiety is real. Like the hangover and the anxiety. And it is so true. Like being hungover, it, it it's like a full blown anxiety attack for me. It, it just feels like nothing is right in my life. You know, like, it's just like, I'm on the way to death. So I totally love everything you said about having more time and like being able to stick to your plans Um, because it's true. Like I do feel like now that I'm, you know, I don't go and binge drink anymore. And I do have my whole Fridays nights, my Saturday nights and my Saturday all day. And then Sunday all day. And it's a very valuable time because when you're drinking all weekend, you, the weekend flies by, you don't remember anything. You can't even like put that memory in your box of good things that happened to you because you can't remember it. So it's like, it never even happened. Then you go to work that like that Monday, you start working again and you're like, gosh, where did my week, like, where's my life? Like, I don't know. It's just like all work, no play in a way Mm -hmm. it feels like. So I love all that stuff. And thank you. I really appreciate that. I, like I said, I've been a fan of this podcast for a while. So it's kind of a, I don't know. It's like a cool little thing that now what I'm doing. Cause I started listening to it before I even got sober. So what I'm doing oh. now, um, now I'm on it and it just is kind of validation, you know, that what I'm doing is, is for good and people are going to resonate with it. You know, drinking alcohol and having issues with alcohol is seen as very black and white in society. It's either you have a problem or you don't. And what it's called in the sobriety community is gray area drinking, which is the drinking between, you know, being hitting rock bottom and, you know, not having a problem. There's that space between. And I feel like that's the space that a lot of people find themselves in. And so what I would say is, you know, sometimes the worry that I have when I share my story, you know, my drinking was not as bad as it gets, but it was pretty bad. And so I worry that people are going to compare them, their drinking to my story and be like, okay, I'm not her. So I don't have a problem. You know, I don't need to quit. And that's kind of where I found myself a lot of the time was listening to other people's stories or saying, you know, well, I'm, I'm not drinking every day, so I don't have a problem or I'm not, I'll just make all these justifications. So obviously I'm not trying to say like, anyone who's listening has a drinking problem, but there is that gray area. And I feel like that's why I want to personally, that's what, why I'm doing what I'm doing and talk and sharing my stories because I want to bring light to that area and people who, you know, you don't have to have a reason to want to quit drinking. Like if you want to change your relationship with alcohol, like there's no criteria that you have to meet. So if it's something that you feel called to do, like go ahead and do it, try it out. Um, quitting drinking for 
any amount of time is beneficial. Like I know you've talked about you, how you've had like a couple sober months or you've just gone mm-hmm. a while without drinking. And so if it's something that you are wanting to try out, like go 30 days, like right now it's, they have all these different challenges, but right now it's technically sober September next month is sober October. There's dry January, dry July. So obviously it doesn't have to be on one of those months, but if you're thinking about, you know, maybe my life would be a little bit better without alcohol in it. Like try going sober for a month for 30 days, because I I don't see how there could be any harm caused by it. And even if you just don't decide to, you know, go completely sober afterwards, it really brings a lot of clarity and it really, it's a great moment of reflection because I think a lot of people drink just because it's what they've always done. Like they, Mm -hmm. they drink in high school, they go to college and it's what everyone's doing. So they're like, okay, I'm going to do it. And they've never taken the time to be like, well, why am I drinking? And why am I involved in this? And so just taking 30 days or any amount of time away from alcohol and taking a break from that constant cycle that you're in can really help you just realize a lot of things about yourself that maybe you're covering up with alcohol and it can just really help you discover yourself. So I would just encourage anyone who's thinking about it to maybe try it out. Um, Another thing I would say is let go of any expectations. Like if you are ready to begin the sobriety journey for the long haul, like there's so much information out there about what it's going to be like, like this many days is when you're going to stop feeling like withdrawals. And this many days is when you're going to your skin's going to clear up and like, just let go of any of the expectations that you have about sobriety, because everyone's journey is different, similar with eating disorder recovery. Like everyone's journey is unique to them. And so, yes, you can look to other people for inspiration and you can look to my story for inspiration and ask me questions, but your journey at the end of the day is going to be individual to you. Um, And so really leaning into that and, and yeah, just really soaking up your journey as it is. And then Um, being kind to yourself is another thing I would say, like, this is a behavior that you have learned for months, maybe even years of drinking and being in that pattern. And so unlearning any type of behavior, like again, similar with eating disorder, Mm -hmm. because eating disorders and alcohol abuse are very, they go, they co-occur a lot. Um, but it's a behavior that you really have to unlearn. So if you slip up and you are trying to not drink for a certain amount of time and you end up drinking, like, don't be hard on yourself. I was so hard on myself for so long. And at the end of the day, like it's literally a behavior that you have to unlearn. Um, And then last thing I'll say is just don't do it alone because I tried doing it alone for a while and it really sucked. And, you know, there's plenty of resources that you can reach out to. There's AA, which provides you with a community of people going through the same thing. And I personally didn't go through AA, but I know a lot of people who did and they swear by it. Um, but there's so many other places that you can seek out individuals who are like-minded and who are going through what you're going through. Because I mean, I tried to get sober in a college town surrounded by binge drinkers. So obviously I felt alone, but once I finally realized, you know, I can't do this alone. I really want to find other people out there like me was when I noticed the biggest shift in my mindset towards my sobriety. It's when I, I started to feel you know, not like I can't drink, but I don't have to drink. Um, And when I really started to feel like sobriety was kind of a superpower in a way. And if you, you know, are looking for a community of people that you want to join, I, 
I hope I ended up hosting. Um, I started hosting virtual meetings for people in college and, you know, post-grads, anyone around this age, I really don't have a limit on the age, but anyone who is sober, sober, curious, you know, questioning, questioning their relationship with alcohol. I started hosting these meetings in January, actually. And we've, they've been really, really helpful to me in my sobriety and everyone who comes to them says that they're really helpful and they're free. So if you are looking for a community that you want to just meet like-minded people, you can feel free to come and hang out there and join those because it really just makes you feel a lot less alone, obviously, when you're talking to other people going through what you're going through. So that's cool. You'll have to send me like, should they just DM you or is it like in your Instagram pretty easy to access? Yeah, I have. So I, I have a website blog. It's kind of going through some renovations right now. So I do have a link though. So if you okay, can cool. my website or you can DM me either way. I'll, I'll leave it down below too. Yeah. And I'll leave your Instagram. So if people have questions, they can DM you. Yeah. Um, those are great tips. Wow. I did. Um, yeah, I did like dry winter, like um, <laughs> in 2020 from Thanksgiving or like around Thanksgiving time. I just remember it being around Thanksgiving. So I was like, oh, I have to do sober Thanksgiving. I don't have to, I get to see so yeah. <laughs> changing my language all the way until new year's. So it was a big challenge for me because it was like three holidays plus like all the holiday parties mm-hmm. that I would typically drink at. And I, I was sober and I was literally like, it's crazy how much it, for me it changed really quickly. Like it was, I think after Thanksgiving and like a week after Thanksgiving, like at first I was like, Oh, this is going to suck. This is going to be so hard. Like uh, mm-hmm. I had Rio to keep me accountable. So I definitely wasn't doing it alone. He's so excited when I'm like, let's do dr- dry, whatever. He's <laughs> like, I'm already doing that. I'm like, I'll do it with you. <laughs> but um, yeah, like after a little bit, I started to feel very empowered. And like you said, it does feel like a superpower. You're like, oh my gosh, I'm me. Like I'm myself. Mm-hmm. And it feels, it felt so good. And that really changed my life and my approach to alcohol. Cause I did it. Mm-hmm. I hope that you know, you just keep shining your light because it's like really working. And I just appreciate you a lot. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you so much. This was, this was amazing. I've, I've looked up to you as well. And I <laughs> an honor being on this podcast. And um, yeah, the last thing I'll say is just like, I'm sure I've said this many times this podcast, but if you feel as though you're alone in this, you are not. And even like you said, Kate, like there is a, there is a shift that is happening among our age group for people who, you know, are questioning their drinking. Like it's not, no, nobody is, I mean, yes, a lot of people still are drinking, but I have noticed, and there is a shift in the sober Instagram community, community of more and more people questioning their relationship with alcohol. So you are not as alone as you feel. And there are other people out there who are going through the same thing. Yeah. Like same with diet culture, like mm-hmm. four or five, years ago, maybe more like 10, actually diet culture was cool. So, you know, same with like so many things that are like actually really toxic. It's like, Mm -hmm. you know, it just takes, it just takes some people to get on board and I'm happy you're one of them. So I'll leave all your like social links down below your website and everything. So if anyone's interested, they should absolutely follow you and check out your website and join the group if, if they feel like it. Cause yeah, Yeah. you need some friends along this journey. And Mm -hmm. so that's awesome.